Welcome to Defragmenting, a podcast of Cairn University, promoting biblical integrity and thoughtful Christianity. Artificial intelligence and deconstruction are topics receiving a lot of attention in a variety of Christian circles, but rarely in the same place. Dr. Michael J. Swiegel, Department Chair and Professor of Theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, creatively brings the two together in his latest novella, The AI Theist. He joined Dr. Keith Plummer to discuss this book about an apparently sentient computer system upon which much of the world depends, that subsequently becomes obsessed with the idea that the Christian faith is true. This obsession with religious matters leads its creator to call on a former seminary professor who renounced his faith to consult with the AI in hopes of dissuading it of its conclusion. The result is a series of thought-provoking and moving exchanges about the nature of faith, unbelief, and being human. Let's join their conversation now. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast someone who's no stranger to Cairn University. Dr. Michael Spiegel is department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, where he teaches historical and systematic theology. He's an alumnus of Cairn University and the father of a recent alumna, his daughter Sophie. Listeners familiar with Christian Twitter likely know him as the man behind the Theology 101 tweets, in which he delivers a mixture of wit and Christ-centered wisdom. Some might know Mike as the author or co-author of a number of books, including Retro Christianity, Reclaiming the Forgotten Faith, Urban Legends of Church History, 40 Common Misconceptions, Exploring Christian Theology, and A Practical Primer on Theological Method. What many might not know is that Mike is also an author of fiction, and I asked him to talk with me about his most recent work in that genre, a novella titled The AI Theist. Welcome, Mike, and thanks for taking time out to talk with me. Hey, thanks a lot, Keith. I appreciate it. Well, for those who may see the book, uh, there is a, a question. We discussed this, but just to get it out there, in terms of pronunciation, because it is A-I-T-H-E-I-S-T. Did I pronounce it right? You did. I usually say the AI theist. I actually didn't know how to pronounce it until somebody asked me that very question. Because, you know, I'm on the page, I emphasize on the cover that AI is in red and the rest of it's in black. So it's clear that I'm doing something there with that. But it is a play on the word atheist with AI inserted in there. And then as we get into the discussion of the story, it's pretty clear who the theist is yes. uh, in the narrative. Yes. Okay. Good. And, and let's say a little bit about the book itself. It's a Kindle book that you have self-published. Yeah, correct. I do traditional publishing with normal publishing companies. I've been limiting my fiction, mostly self-publishing. I've, I've done some things, and one of my books is being translated uh, with traditional publishing in, in Portuguese, but uh, stateside, I do all self-publishing. I have some control over the, the content and, and the release of it then. Great. And people should know that uh, though it is a Kindle book, it doesn't require a Kindle device. In order to read it, you can use a Kindle app as well. Correct. Before we get into some of the, the content of the book, I pay attention to dedications, and you dedicate your book to your mother, Audrey, whom you describe as, quote, a living lesson of steady faith, end quote. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes you describe her that way? Yeah, I remember watching my mom when I was little writing. She took a writing class and she was always interested and wanted to write a book someday. And that's kind of where I got uh, 
the inspiration to move into writing even at a young age. But then I also was able to watch her faith challenged, her faith formed as she also went through tremendous suffering and loss. Uh, the whole family did the loss of um, an older brother of mine who at the age of 11 succumbed to uh, a bout with leukemia. And seeing the effect that that had on my mom and as well as my father and seeing how they came out of that, not in unbelief and hatred or anger toward God, but ultimately in a stronger faith. And just to see that someone who would have, you know, from an emotional level, every reason to doubt God's goodness and abandon trust and confidence in him to see her come out on the other side of that much stronger. That's been an inspiration to me. Oh, I can definitely see why. Thank you for sharing that. What gave rise to this book in particular? You're, it's bringing together a whole lot of threads. There's the AI technology aspect. There's an apologetic bent to it that we'll get into. There is something of a science fiction element to it as well. What were some of the things that made you think about, I want to write on this? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I I sometimes can't remember where my ideas for these stories come from. In this case, I remember several years ago thinking, you know, I've always been a big fan of science fiction and, you know, that classic 2001 HAL 9000 and that onboard computer that goes a little crazy, you know, kill, tries to kill everybody. You even see the same theme to a degree in Alien and that onboard computer, uh, the, the androids. I always thought that that was very interesting. And usually AI, like in Terminator and some of these other classics, even Matrix, is the enemy. It becomes sentient and it starts trying to defend itself and kill people. And I thought, what would it be like if, if it was the opposite? If the, if the uh, AI, the artificial intelligence became, becomes sentient and starts wondering about its eternal destiny or its soul or can it be saved? Is religion true? And I just kind of set that on the back burner and toy with it a little bit. And then in the last year, as as artificial intelligence became headline news, constantly we're talking about it. Right. I revisited that idea again and tweaked a few just basic concepts as far as characters and how I would tell that story. And it was interesting. Uh, I actually wrote the thing then on my way to and from Germany while I was on the airplane. Uh, as you said, it's a novella, so it's pretty short, about 31 chapters. And I wrote that thing there and back on my iPhone on its notes. Oh app, my goodness. Believe it or not. <laughs> Needless to say, I had a lot of editing to do after uh, all the typos and things. But uh, yeah, it just kind of flowed, kind of came together. So it was something I've been noodling on for about three or four years. Okay. Well, give us an overview of the plot line. Uh, there are three primary characters, really, in this novella. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the story is about. Yeah, you know, the little tagline, I guess, would kind of capture the the sense of it. I say, when a sentient AI system finds religion, its creator calls on a theologian turned atheist to cure it of its faith. Basically, I introduced all three characters with that little tagline. So the main character, um, well, it's debatable. This kind of sparring between two characters the AI system called YAR, all caps Y-A-R, and it just is a, related to a, a Hindi slang word for friend or a buddy. Uh, and then the owner or the creator of YAR is a character uh, named Ramesh Ray, called, goes by Rami. And then he's kind of agnostic, doesn't really care about religion per se. And then you have the um, 
I guess the main character, I would have to say he's the main character because it's written in the first person from his perspective. And that is a guy named Michael Berg, who is about 20 years veteran of, um, as a professor of theology uh, in a seminary in Texas, who lost his faith, became an atheist and began writing kind of attacks on the Christian faith in light of some things in his his life that made him doubt God's goodness. And so I thought it would be very interesting to put this former former Christian theologian in the same room with a machine that has become convinced that no, actually Christianity is real from very intellectual perspective, uh, it seems. And they just clash in sort of a classic kind of dialogue format, as you would see in, in classic philosophical works. Yeah, it's not one extended dialogue, but it's a series of dialogues where Michael Berg is taking some time to put together his case against the AI, and then he's reflecting on it and how he's going to, you know, best him the next time and so forth. The book, Berg has written a book called When God Was Real. Yeah. Of recounting the time where he believed this to be so and why he no longer believed it to be so. And some of the the more humorous elements of the book are when Yar deals with that book, which Yar has read, and starts right. critiquing some of the the arguments as being facile and uh, <laughs> really oversimplified. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's a, it's kind of a fun thing because actually, you know, there are a couple scenes along the way where you realize Yar can read a book in about a half a second. Mm-hmm. And uh, he even says, uh, challenges Mike Berg challenges him to reconsider something. And there he gives a little pause. He says, well, I just did. And, <laughs> you know, I just basically read everything that there is out there on the subject. So, yeah, he's read it and he tries to provide a few uh, critiques. And uh, Mike Berg, of course, doesn't want to hear it. So he moves on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it does kind of expose. And this becomes pretty clear that um, and I'm not speaking about all people who have rejected Christianity, but in Mike Berg's case, the character, um, it's not so much the facts of the faith or the historical claims or even, you know, contradictions, apparent contradictions in scripture. Uh, there are other things that are really motivating his abandonment and anger toward God. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Yara says to Mike at one point is rejecting Christianity because one does not like its moral implications isn't rational. Right. And uh, there are a number of exchanges like that. And Yar seems to be taking another thing that Yar says, while Yar is convinced that Christianity is true, um, kind of a best explanation approach. At one point, he says, to clarify, my reasoning does not prove that God exists. The existence of God cannot be demonstrated beyond all doubt, either by deductive, inductive, or abductive reasoning. However, as I weighed the numerous answers to the most pressing philosophical and theological questions, Christian theism provides the most consistent, coherent, and compelling explanation. Right. Yeah. One thing that uh, Yard does to kind of come to that conclusion, and frankly continues to do, he says, as he's even having the conversation, is he's weighing all of the evidences and arguments simultaneously uh, not this verse or that verse or this problem or that problem, but all of them simultaneously, which of course is not possible for any human being to do. Mm-hmm. So I created a, a, a fictional methodology. So I don't really have to necessarily, as a Christian theologian in the real world, 
point to the reason why this computer has become a Christian. It's a it's a device, but I do think it's as a Christian, Christianity it does provide the best explanation for all of the questions and problems. It doesn't mean we don't have unanswered questions, of course, right? Or things in life uh, experiences that we can't really explain. It's just, uh, and and I think even Yar acknowledges that fact as well in the story. Right. I was going to point that out. It's not as though Yar is coming about it from a perspective of, I have all of the answers figured out. Right. But when I consider all of the issues, this seems to be the best explanation of the way things are. Yeah. He even makes a comment too, because I'm trying to present that this is still a rational machine that is thinking through these things rationally. He even admits, you know, maybe the reason why I've favored Christianity as the form of theism is because there's just been so much written about it for the last 2,000 years mm. in numerous languages cross-culturally that just the data pool itself is so massive. So, you know, he's acknowledging there are certain circumstances that that may be pushing him in this direction. And then without, I don't want to give up any uh, of the story away, but Mike Berg suspects, though, that Yar has, a, as he says, his thumb on the scale a little bit for some reason, and that does come out toward the end. It's kind of the, the thing that he's trying to discover. What in the world is pushing Yar in this direction to begin with? Yes, there's an element of mystery in the book as well. As you're going through, there's that, you know, what is what is behind this? And tell us a little bit about, at the point at which this takes place, the corporation that has created Yar, that uh, Rami has created, is only about like seven years old? Yeah, yeah. And, and Yar is like five or six or somewhere around there? Somewhere around there, yes. Somewhere around there. And what is the place that Yar has in society, locally and globally? Yeah, I kind of imagined um, a situation where the the technology is so superior to everything that's come before that it basically people, for practical reasons, just give them total control over things like like air traffic control, like even automobile traffic, you kind of read between the lines and get a sense that things are automated, much more automated than they've ever been. And the rapid mm -hmm. developments that have come because of this uh, ability for this central uh, mind, really this global mind to control all of these things. Uh, says that, you know, there aren't plane crashes, there aren't car crashes, there aren't all of the traffic is never, has never flowed as smoothly as since Yara is taking control. Um, movies are perfect and all of these different things are, are you see you're kind of in this transition toward what looks like an ideal kind of society where a lot of things are being being solved so that's kind of the the situation since the advent of yar and his ability to i think at one point he says that they've patented like 1200 patents since his he started inventing things creatively and mm -hmm. yeah that's the kind of society that's moving toward you know and i'm trying to present it as sort of the opposite of what we're used to in, say, Terminator or The Matrix, where the AI is this evil thing that takes over and kills everybody else out of self-preservation. Instead, this is a, right. um, it's almost optimistic and promising. And who knows? You know, I never really thought about what happens 10 years after this, you know, if things get out of control in that, that regard. 
And it's because of this uh, centralized place that Yar has come to have in society that um, Rami calls upon Mike Berg because there have been some delays in Yar's processing that uh, has led to some complications or at least frustrations for for people. Um, his, I'm, I'm going to say his because another interesting thing about it is that Yar uh, at some point wants to be called by personal pronoun, you know, his. Not it. Uh, him. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's because of these processing delays that have come about because Yar has become so obsessed with this question of religious truth. Exactly. And even at one point, Rami, the, the owner, the one who runs Yar, invented him, uh, he says, you know, to be honest, I don't really care what he believes. I, I believe in freedom of religion for humans and for, for AI. He just says, I don't want him to, to mess up my, you know, the world that we're, we're making here. This, you know, it's slowing things down. That can be actually dangerous, you know, in his mind. So as long as it doesn't slow things down, distract it. And I kind of actually stole that language from a conversation I had one time with a guy who works in Hollywood. And I asked him, you know, what's it like being a believer in Hollywood? And he said, you know what? Nobody cares what anybody believes as long as the production isn't hindered. You know, and I thought that's going to be Rami's attitude. As long as the the operations aren't hindered, but in this case it was. And so things are getting slowed down. And that's why he's so desperate to, te- you know, the programmers can't do anything about it because he keeps, this computer just keeps going back again and again to these religious things for some reason, obsessing over them. So he, last ditch effort, he's going to call in the uh, former theology professor who's an atheist to try to uh, at least soften Yar's faith a, a little bit. Yeah. The, um, he, He's hoping, and Mike Berg asks at one point, so you want me to deconvert him? And and he says, well, yeah, basically, that's what I want. I want you to go in there and divest him of this um, these convictions that that uh, he has adopted. I, w- I was curious, and you've kind of given some hint of this already, but I was curious as I read whether or not you were making some even veiled social commentary or critique about the place that computer technology has come to have in our lives yeah to to some degree it's not the main focus if someone asked me what is this about it's not about the threat of ai or the fear of ai or the dehumanizing of society because of technology those kind of stand in the background uh i i've actually imagined you know groups being able to go through this book and discussing a lot of the topics that are brought up either directly or indirectly, and that would be one of them. Mm-hmm. But but mainly it's the it's creating a a character that is somewhat believable, I suppose. This AI YAR artificial intelligence thing that is sentient, I guess, that would be coming at the Christian faith from a purely rational perspective. I think that that's kind of um, and that is one of the complaints and frankly one of the fears. And that is discussed a little bit in the book. You know, that the fear that he's going to, they use the term, go Skynet, you know, borrowing from Terminator. Um, there's this constant fear. And I even say in there that, that people are afraid that he's the, that Rami's the Antichrist and the, uh, that Yar is the, um, whatever, the, the beast, you know, or whatever the, you know, the, the beast. beast of Revelation. The so there's revelation. a lot of that. The, <laughs> it's kind of standing in the background, but it definitely is uh, something that could be explored further. One of the things that made me think about that was, 
how it is that our acclimation to computer technology has shaped us to be demanding of speed. And the, th the thing that it's, it's like one line, but I thought this is really, really good. In order to convince the world that uh, Yar is not hostile, and you mentioned that you know he's operating according to like the rules of robotics from Asimov, they can't do harm and so forth. So in Asimov, order yeah. to persuade the mm -hmm. world that Yar is really harmless, he live streams this event where he is going to shut Yar down and Yar knows it and Yar doesn't offer any kind of resistance or defense and he, he shuts him down for 10 minutes. And then there's this line, after the shutdown though, everybody begged Solenia, the, the corporation, never to do it again. The 10 minutes of life without Yar felt unbearable to a world that depended on his steady hand of sovereign control over almost everything. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I guess that is a bit of a social commentary. I mean, how many times have we complained when the internet was out or, you know, something like that? It's almost like, I remember mm -hmm. I depend so much on my uh, navigation system and my phone, you know, Ma Apple maps or whatever, as I'm driving, and then you hit the spot where there's no signal and you might as well be dropping in the middle of the ocean, you know, with an inner tube. You know, you feel so lost. And I was kind of <laughs> trying to capture that idea. So, yeah, it's it, and that also kind of impresses on the reader how much the world has come to depend on him so that any slowdown in functionality is going to be met as a crisis. You know, it's almost a, almost a crisis of faith in the sense of, uh, you know, if God ceased yes. to exist for 10 minutes or the sun ceased to shine for 10 minutes, how how horrible that would be. Yeah. And and even that language, I don't know how intentional you were about you know the steady his steady hand of sovereign control. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He is the he is the god of the technological age in that sense, which is is almost imaginable, isn't it? Oh yes. It is almost imaginable. We've got a whole bunch of little idols now, but if something like Yar were to be invented and installed that would be we'd go from polytheism to monotheism pretty quickly with regard to te technological control well in the course of the of the book as this encounter between yar and michael berg uh goes on you learn more and more of each of their backstory and there is uh, certainly there's apologetic argumentation they're dealing with things such as inerrancy the question of inspiration, apparent contradictions in the Bible, the problem of evil and suffering, which um, comes up with frequency and with intensity. Uh, but in the course of their interaction, you see, you begin to piece together what is behind both Mike Berg's unbelief, what is behind Yar's um focus on religion and this conviction that christianity is actually true and that intrigued me because um in many respects what you are doing in this book is apologetics but 
it is in the context of a dramatic narrative. And I, and so there is biblical theological scholarship woven together with the challenges of unbelief and addressing them. But then there's a very human element that I think if one reads carefully, um, demonstrates that belief and unbelief are whole person activities. Exactly. Whole yeah. life activities. Um, they're more than just facts. I mean, it's, I like to tell my students in the end, you know, in the end, and this is commonly said, not just, not just, I say this, but in the end, people, uh, believe what they mm -hmm. want to believe people or people won't believe something that they don't want to believe. In the end, there's something way more than just data and facts. Uh, and that turns out to be the case, even with, with Yar, as you alluded to, and I don't want to give anything away, but, um, but, you know, it's, some people have complained sometimes to me that, that Mike Berg, the, the former theologian didn't put up a big enough fight, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's, setting these things up and letting Yar knock them down almost like a straw man. Uh, but you realize quickly, and he's kind of coming into his own terms, that it isn't really the so-called errors that are in the Bible that led him away from faith, nor is it the ability to answer every single question that, that keeps Yar believing. It's There's something more, and I think this is true for all of us, there's always something more that is also, not only, but also contributing to to that math that we do in our heads. It's not just, uh, not purely mm -hmm. analytical. And I like to use it, this idea of the, um, the buoy effect. Uh, if a person does not want to believe, you can add a whole ocean of evidences and they'll mm. just float above it like a buoy in the, in the water. You know, there's, there's gotta be something more than just facts and figures and um, who has the burden of proof and those kinds of things, which is part of the, the thing I'm trying to do in the apologetics discussions and in, yeah. in the story. What do you think um, people who are involved in theology and apologetics, and I don't mean just professionally so, but what, what can we learn or what should we learn from this weaving together of, yes, there's intellectual argumentation, but there is... Um, there's drama, there is narrative, there's appeal to the imagination. Yeah, everybody has their story. You know, Yar, ha Yar even has his story that, that, um, that they need to get to the bottom of to understand, you know, how he has come not to just his con con um, conclusions, but his convictions. And, and Mike Berg, you, you know, you, I think I, I tried at least to frame the discussions in a way that you that the reader feels some empathy and sympathy for both of these positions uh even if we intellectually disagree with some things mike berg says or even disagree with what what um yar says uh i feel like a person can walk away feeling some sort of um desire to understand where they're coming from and and I think the one of the themes is you can't understand why a person thinks a certain way or is inclined toward a certain way or even asks certain questions until you hear a little bit about their story. And I think that that's always been the case. 
Um, you know, in a in a society where maybe we were more ideologically homogenous, our stories tended to be very similar. Mm-hmm. Those days are over. Right. Everybody has their own story and their own reasons for thinking and asking certain questions and being satisfied with certain answers. So things are just a little bit more complicated than than maybe we wish they were. Do you think that um, you use this scenario in order to bring out some of these these points? What about from a, a biblical theological point of view? Do you think there's any possibility of computers becoming sentient as uh, seems to be the case with Yar? Mm. Yeah, you know, as I even as I've gone through the story several times in editing, um, I walk away wondering, you know, is he sentient in the same sense we are? Um, mm-hmm. Or is he just really, 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 really good at faking it? And does, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a question in there at some point early on where Mike Berg says, before he meet, meets Yar, he says uh, something like, um, I have to ask you a question. You have to be honest with me. He asked the question of the the owner, Rami. Rami says, yeah, what, what is this? He says, is Yar actually sentient or is this just kind of a marketing, you know, ploy? And Rami pauses and he says, that Yar thinks he's sentient. Mm-hmm. At least he thinks he's sentient. And I and I kind of thought I'd leave it at that. Can a can a being that's not sentient think it's sentient? You know, and I so I think the maybe when like you mentioned that you alluded it to it earlier, where Yar at some point, very controversially, we say, decides he doesn't want to be an it anymore. He wants to be a he. And then he took a lot of flack from about, you know, why not a she or why not something else? And he said, well, he chose to be a he. And frankly, in some languages and cultures, he is a she, you know, and it's just that's irrelevant because he's neither. He isn't it. But doesn't it make that kind of decision that he wants to be referred to with something that indicates personhood, personality, if he's not sentient? So and then you get. Toward the end, you start, I think, getting more evidence for maybe this is some form of sentience, and maybe AI is no longer the appropriate term for it. Is this artificial intelligence or is this real intelligence? It's a it's a good question that I don't honestly completely settle. Even in my own mind, I'm not sure. Even as the author, I'm not positive. Yeah, it it raised the question for me throughout, but especially towards you get towards the end. Uh, it raised this question of how it is that how are we to think about what it means to be human in light of the startling advances in technology that we're making and uh, that yet lie on the horizon that uh, our interaction with our creations confront us uh, repeatedly with the question of what does it mean to be human yeah, and, and I do, in a couple passing comments and some conversations, allude to the need for embodiment, um, the fact mm-hmm. that we are psychosomatic beings, we have a body, we're not just mind, and Yar is pure mind, and uh, mm-hmm. we talk about some of the, the handicaps that that leads to with him and his ability even to relate to humanity, to humans, in a real sense. But we also know, in, as theologians, that there are intelligent, sentient beings out there that are pure spirit, right? They're not, mm-hmm. there's, there's no body. So there's got to be such a thing as uh, that kind of sentience in existence, et cetera. So it's a good question that, uh, and I'm kind of, if you haven't noticed, dodging your 
theological question. <laughs> is it possible that in the future there can be such a thing as as a self-asserting center of consciousness which feels like it has it it has its own agency and can have should have its own rights and what what's that world mm-hmm. going to be like? Uh, I don't know the answer to that because I, I guess you know how much sentience does a ladybug larva have? I don't know, but it's a creature and has some degree of agency within certain limits, but compared to the human. So I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. It's a great question. It's why I stopped teaching anthropology here. I let that someone else do those questions. Well, maybe, maybe this is the making of the, uh, the next fiction book. Yeah, maybe there we go. <laughs> you have a number of acknowledgements. And, um, one of the things that you say is, that a lot of times questions are asked of whether Michael Berg is in any way based on Mike, Michael Spiegel. And to that question, you respond, uh, certainly I have drawn heavily from my own experiences as a professor at a conservative seminary in Dallas, Texas. This is because writers of fiction are most successful when they write what they know. And I wanted to ask you, um, what kinds of things have you, do you encounter from your own students with respect to questions about the truth, the goodness, the beauty of the Christian faith? Yeah, you know, I've seen students themselves wrestle with this at, at an intellectual level, of course, um, questions of the problem of evil and those kinds of things. In fact, one of my former students who's been in ministry now for several years uh, read this, wrote a review, even referring back to arguments he had with me about the problem of evil back in uh you know class and so um those kinds of things those questions that come up um some of them are theoretical many of them are are real life things people have gone through horrible experiences uh traumatic experiences or were going through them at the time and uh, you, you know when you're you're in a classroom or a an environment where you're studying scripture and theology apologetics those kinds of things on a you know, weekly basis, uh, to number of students from different backgrounds, you've just created that, that recipe for, um, being forced to ask these questions. You can't ignore them. So I've seen students, uh, go through major struggles and come out on the other side in ways that I doubt I could. And then I've seen other students turn around, walk away from the faith, uh, for all practical purposes in light of far less uh, kinds of experiences than others. So it's those kinds of things are always on a, you know, semester to semester basis, front and center in my life and seeing these things. Uh, and then as a theologian, I'm always encountering, you know, the, the, um, the phenomenon of apostasy, or I suppose people walk away from the faith or give up. And that it's something that constantly forces me to go back and ask some of these questions of why, and how would I respond to some of these uh, really traumatic experiences similar to what we see in the book. Well, I enjoyed the book very much. Um, I enjoyed the intellectual provocation of it, but it was also a very moving book. And I mentioned to you, I think on Twitter, that I, I experienced a tad of what I called eye moisture uh, <laughs> <laughs> towards the towards the end. <laughs> But I, I would really, really encourage folks to pick it up and read it, particularly 
uh, if any or all of these issues um, are of any interest, it is a, a good read. And I am very glad that you took the time on that flight to <laughs> punch that out on your, your iPhone and you went through all the editing that w was after. But thank you so much for, for the book. It is very, very good. I really, really benefited from it and hope others will as well. And thank you for, for joining us uh, to talk about it. Thank you. I really appreciate it and uh, love uh, discussing these things. I think they bring up a lot of issues, not more than just an enjoyable story with some fun characters. Uh, I love to be able to sit down and chat about some of the uh, theological, philosophical, just real life issues. So it's, it's uh, I think people realize the weightiness of some of those things and can approach it in a way that's creative and non-threatening. Uh, but pretty profound, I think. Yeah. One thing before you go, anything in the hopper fiction wise, Do you have another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mentioned just in passing the beginning that uh, one of my uh, fiction books called Topia, it's, it's out, it's available. It's a full length novel in the first part of a two part um, series. Uh, and that's being translated into Portuguese uh, for Portuguese market, believe it or not which means I have to finish the sequel and I'm about 90, 95% finished with that. But uh, long, full length novels are a little bit, um, you know, a bit more work <laughs> in uh, working through and editing. So that should be done um, somewhere around Christmas or the new year uh, and should be releasing that somewhere around there. Great. And really the last thing, um, if people want to follow you, uh, your thoughts. I mentioned your Theology 101. Uh, let us know that and any other venues that they might be able to find you. Yeah, I'm mostly just on Twitter now and you can follow me at Twitter. And my, it's my last name, S-V-I-G-E-L. And uh, you know, I got on there earlier than every other Spiegel in the world with whom I am related, <laughs> by the way. If you ever meet a Spiegel, we're related. So um, yeah, they can follow me on Twitter for any kind of uh, updates, mild hopefully friendly rants once in a while but i uh, can keep them updated and and things that are coming out as well great well thanks again for the time mike it was a pleasure thanks so much <laughs>